To No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by one of the other two hosts of No Nonsense. Will Lomas is here with me. Matthias Wadner has fled the country. That's not entirely true, but he is on a trip to Peru. So Matthias will join us back next week. But it won't just be Will and me today, because joining us later will be Tyler Rowland, better known to many of you as Tic Tac Titans. He is the host of the Locked On Titans podcast, and he will be hanging out with us for about half an hour in just a little bit to talk all things Titans, which, Will, as we get into this episode, you know, we're going to talk about the Rams, we're going to talk about the Colts game, but let's not bury the lead. Titans running back Derrick Henry out for the foreseeable future with a broken bone in his foot. He had surgery Tuesday morning. Let's just start there. Uh, Your reaction to that news, Will, and I guess what happens now for the Titans. They brought in Adrian Peterson, but but beyond that. Yeah, it's... I, I mean, obviously, you don't want to lose a Hall of Fame player. Like, that sucks. Centerpiece of your offense... You know, by this point, we've heard all that rhetoric. It's really just unprecedented because even when the Titans have had playoffs secured and didn't need to play him or had chances to use other people as actual running backs, they haven't. So the only game you can really go back to is I think it's 2019 versus the Saints when he had a hamstring issue that was bugging him during the Raiders game. Then he missed the next game, which was the Saints game. Then he came back for the Texans game. The, the Saints game, which didn't matter, by the way. That was the one yeah, game he missed. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, because it was an NFC game, and it didn't. It really wasn't going to affect the standings. So that that's really the only one you can look back at. And the Titans did well. I think they scored thirty-one points or something, and that was with Tajay Sharp and you know basically scraps. Like I forget. And I don't think it was flu. Ellen. I think he'd already torn his ACL at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been much worse than it is now. And, you know, obviously the, I don't know, not, not the, where you go from here, but the, you know, contingency plan is just keep doing what you're doing until yeah. they stop you. Yeah. And that's sort of what Vrabel said on Monday when he was getting asked about life without Derrick Henry, uh, he said, look, there's no one in this building that wants to now start throwing the ball 45 times, especially not against the team that they're facing this week with Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald and the Rams. And I think that, that that's probably the biggest thing Adrian Peterson gives the Titans is someone through whom they can keep running their offense because they're not going to reinvent the wheel. You know, they're not going to, like Variable said, they're not going to start throwing 45 times a game. This is, are they going to run the ball less? Yeah, definitely. But this is still going to be the zone running, 
you know, they're they're doing it with a lot more eleven personnel this year, but they're still going to run the ball. They're still going to go off of that with play action shots downfield. We just might see less running. They're not going to become, you know, an air raid offense because of this. Yeah, and I guess the like I sent you this thread in the DMs, and uh, I know Superhorn posted it, and somebody else from a couple of years ago is kind of a blend of two different threads. But the only real change that happens schematically is you're going to probably see more of that duo play that they've been running, which is you know guard center, guard center, like two man up to the line, like defensive lineman, linebacker. Um, you call it four hands, four eyes, which is where you and the blocker next to you take the guy in front of you and you put four hands on him and you push him back until your four eyes tell you which way the linebacker's going and then you peel off. Basically, it's just to create room and get you going north and south and then let your running back make cuts from there. And that's where Peterson's always been good. So, I, I mean, honestly, maybe that may be a better fit for what the Titans were doing than what Derrick Henry's best fit was, which is that wide zone because – for most of the season, they really weren't utilizing, until the Chiefs game, they really weren't utilizing that true outside zone bootleg off of it maybe twice a game. So I, I'm interested to see what happens. But, yeah, like you just have to change your mindset from this guy could break a 75-yarder to if we get four to six yards, we've got to consider that a win. Yeah. And I think you, you, you wrote a good article on titansize.com talking about what you were just talking about, the scheme fit of Adrian Peterson. And I think that's the big takeaway here because a lot of people have jumped straight to, oh, he's 36, he, he's a shell of, of what he once was, yada, yada, yada. And that's true. Like, I think any Titans fan expecting him to come in, like I remember Adrian Peterson's my all-time favorite NFL player, and... You know, the highlights of him running down the field and, and Paul Allen, the Vikings radio guy, screaming, you know, and he's loose, right? That's not what the Titans are getting. They're not getting this game-changing, game-breaking back who, as I talked about on, on the A to Z show this morning, like when I would play Madden in like middle school I, and, and start a franchise, I would always rig it to make sure that I had Adrian Peterson on my team. Like that, that's how much I've, I've loved this guy. But that's not who they're getting. At the same time, though, they are getting value here. And and I don't think we're kidding ourselves by saying, again, he's not replacing Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's irreplaceable. The stuff he was doing, the volume with which he was carrying the ball, uh, you can't replace that. He was carrying the ball 27 times a game. And the peak of Adrian Peterson's career, he's getting it you know, 22 and a half. But the scheme fit. That's what the replacement is, and not having to change everything. They're going to have to get creative. They're going to have to do some new stuff. You're going to see more McNichols, which I think can also be a good thing. Um, but it's not going to change a whole heck of a lot. This isn't going to be a new team on Sunday. Yeah, and it, we can argue whether or not it's a good thing that Derrick Henry gets 30 touches a game. Like, I, I think it's a it was a necessary thing for this offense to work yeah. early because of how bad pass protection was. But I don't over the last two weeks, I don't think it's been effective for him. I mean, obviously when you have a game where he has a broken foot and then you have a game before the, the week before where he averages basically the same yards per carry, it, you know, without a broken foot, that 
I don't know, maybe, maybe he earned his rest and maybe it was time to find a way to spare him down the, down the path anyway. The, the problem is there's no, if you, if you say, I want to replace a Hall of Fame running back with this guy and this guy, everybody's going to say, well, that's not going to be as good. And yeah, like it, it's probably not like it might not be as good. But if you take, let's say, instead of giving the running back 30 touches, you give them 26, and then you spend your other four with two targets to A.J. Brown, one to Anthony Ferkser, and one to McNichols on a swing pass, Is does that accumulate the same number of yards? Like You almost need to think about it, or at least the way I'm thinking about it, is in money ball terms, which is if your, your goal is to score points, then if you have this big piece taken away from the middle of your offense, can you find ways to functionally create those yards? And I think it really helps that A.J. Brown is averaging like 120 yards a game over the last three weeks because you can see where the explosive plays could come from. Now, I do want to talk about – let's start with this first because I think we're both pretty bullish on the Titans' chances to keep winning. And I think we both looked at this Adrian Peterson move as something that makes a ton of sense and can really help uh, keep the ship afloat. And Super Bowl, that's to be determined because I think that really does entirely depend on whether Henry plays in the playoffs. And we don't know. Frabel didn't give a timeline. The national media has kind of gone back and forth. We'll figure that out when we figure that out. But I do want to ask this because I don't want to undersell what Derrick Henry is and what he does for this team what do you think is the biggest thing they're losing over the next, whether it's eight weeks, 10 weeks, or the rest of the season? It's, it's a hard question. I, I would say it's somewhere between those explosive 10 to 15-yard plays that were so scary that once he got one or two of those, the whole defense sucked in more. Yeah. Or just the fact that you have Derrick Henry, you know, coming off the bus and you can tell like every time they would interview the Colts, they'd be like, are you guys going to be able to tackle Derrick Henry? Oh yeah. We're not afraid of it. And then he would go out and stiff arm <laughs> yeah, somebody. Yeah. And then Mary center would be like, well, actually uh, that's, I always try to punch the ball out. I didn't get knocked 10 yards back through the air off my feet by the 240 pound six, three running back. Like, I mean, he, he would go out and embarrass people and people were, I mean, people were scared. So you get a lot of like business decisions that, you know, basically the entire career of the Jaguars over the last four (laughs) years has been predicated on that. So I I think it's just the fear that nobody wants to end up on a highlight. So they just make those business decisions knowing that it's better to be made fun of for a week than it is for, you know, the rest of eternity on that highlight reel. Yeah, I I think it's two things that you're losing. The first of them is, is sort of what we saw in Seattle, which is. Nothing was really working, and in Buffalo too. Nothing was really working for um, nothing was working for the Titans' offense. The passing game sucked. Even Henry wasn't really doing anything. And then all of a sudden, he rips one of those big runs, and everything changed. Same thing happened in Seattle, where they're down, they're needing to come back. They don't start throwing the ball around the yard. They don't start hucking it down the field because they know that their best chance of a big play was number 22, and that makes life so easy on an offense when Ryan Tannehill can say, here, take this, and there comes the big play. That's one thing they're losing. But I think the bigger thing 
is sort of what you're talking about where, like, I'd be tempted if I'm Mike Vrabel. It's like, you know, let, let's just let him not have surgery and just put him back there in the backfield so that the defense, like, you know, knows that he's there. You know, yeah, it has like, to account for him. The whole uh, uh, Terrell Davis in the Super Bowl, he had migraines uh, so bad that he couldn't see. And he told the coach, you know, I can't go out there because I can't see. I can't have the ball. And they said, you don't have to have the ball. All you have to do is be out there <laughs> yeah. for John Elway to fake it to you. And, they, and that's what they did, and it worked. So it's just, you know, it, it's almost it, – it's, it's very rarely the smartest thing to just hand it to a running back over and over and over 30 times a game, especially when their best carries come – you know, after you've committed 20 carries to him, but that works because people know that you're going to hand the ball to Derrick Henry. Yeah. Like even if it's not the smartest thing to do. And so here's what I want to, I want to talk about with this because the analytics are clear and we, we, you've talked about this. We've talked about this. The analytics are clear that play action success is not predicated on success in the rushing game. You do not have to have a great running game to have a great play action attack. Correct. Correct. Here's why I think it might be different with Henry. Because it is true, and and the analytics are are clear of that. I just think it's different when that play fake is being carried out with Derrick Henry. Like, in the same way that we talk about, well, you don't pay running backs unless it's Derrick Henry because he's just different. Mm -hmm. I think that Derrick Henry might be the exception or the outlier to that That statistic or that analytical connection because like you're talking about you're so scared of the big play you're so scared of getting posterized like Josh Norman and uh what's his name from the Jaguars and the Lions and all those guys you're so scared of that that there's just there's got to be a tendency to creep up a little bit more Right, and and we've seen over the last two weeks. Like, if you look at Henry's stats against Kansas City and Indianapolis, they're not great. Under a hundred yards, low yards per carry average. But the Colts and Chiefs also got destroyed by AJ Brown because the reason they stopped Henry is because they were crept up so much and they bit so hard on those play fakes. Yeah, and I think the Bills went the other way with it, where they played the least amount of eight man boxes the Titans had seen. Yeah, that the Titans had seen all year. And he so, and Henry killed them. Yeah, yeah, he ripped them. He had three touchdowns, and you know, just gassed them. So I, I think they knew. Okay, this way doesn't work. Let's like they gave up thirty-seven points in regulation or whatever it was uh, to the Titans. So everybody said, "Well, let's skew the other way." And now they're just going to have to go back to saying, "Okay, like if they give us seven, you have to beat seven. And that, again, it all goes back to you know and they signed Deontay Foreman to the practice squad or whatever today. Like I liked the way he ran last year. I like the way Adrian Peterson can fit in this offense. Like if they get 25 carries combined and average four yards, eventually you have to pay attention to that because, you know, if you don't, then that's fine. You can do that all day long. If they do, then the play action opens up and the quarterback run opens up. And no matter what, A.J. Brown seemingly finds a way because something that people and you could tell on the broadcast on Sunday, they don't seem to understand is Derrick Henry is very rarely on the field on third downs. Like Titans fans know we've watched it all year. Yeah. And he's third, just not third a great, and McNichols as Jonathan Hutton yeah. has termed it. Yeah. And it like and it makes sense. McNichols is a good he picks up blitz as well. He knows where he's supposed to be and he can catch the ball and run. And it's not 
either a two yard gain or a 70 yard gain. Like it is with Henry when he catches the ball, it's, you know, he can slip inside and get those third and twelves. Like he, he works in that role. So every third down conversion this year, that's been more than one yard McNichols or, or somebody else has been on the field and not Derrick Henry. So, you know, I'm not saying they should go to that, but what I'm saying is like, there have been plenty of times when defensive coordinators have had to not deal with Derrick Henry and the Titans have found ways, even when it was, you know, Chester Rogers and Nick Westbrook-Hina or, you know, any of these other guys, you know, throwing it to Jeff Swain. Like, you know, even if it's guys who you expect to get one target a game, that target will be on third down and they'll convert and move the chains and then, you know, you can get back to running your offense. So, you know, it's not like he's a guy who's played a hundred percent of the snaps, which I think is a misconception people have just based on how many carries he gets. Obviously, Tannehill's going to have to step up during this. He's had a bit of an up and down season so far. He was bad against the Colts. Uh, there was another game I can't remember which one that he was not very good in. The, uh, the Jets was a wash. Everyone sucked in that game. But uh, but then against the Chiefs and the Bills, he was the Ryan Tannehill that we got used to in uh, in 2019 and 2020. So. He's going to need to step up. He's going to need to elevate those around him and not have a clunker like he did against the Colts where he's throwing just one interception into his own blitz and then another interception into quadruple coverage. Like That stuff can't happen. He's 31 years old. He's too old for that. But I think the player who most needs to step up for this team over the next eight to however many weeks is Julio Jones. Like This guy's got a surface. And when Julio's been out there, it's been good. It's been vintage Julio Jones, right? We saw the the acrobatic sideline catch against Buffalo. He torched the Seahawks in, in week two. But we just haven't seen very much of him. And with this offense needing as much firepower as it can get, especially this week against uh, Jalen Ramsey, and we'll get into that with, with, with Tyler when he comes on. But, like, they've got to have a secondary passing option that's not Chester Rogers and Marcus Johnson while Henry's out. Julio needs to surface. It's time. Yeah, I mean, and he did, you know, basically drive that passing offense in the first half versus the Colts game before he got pulled later. Like, I mean, he's he's had good games, like you said, when he's been on the field. I I think, I mean. I mean, I, I'm tired of playing this game where every Wednesday we have to look to see if Julio Jones is practicing. Because yeah. I think we all came into this season, it's like, well, he's going to miss some practices. But the understanding was that would be so he would be fresh in the games. And the problem is he's not practicing or playing. And every week it's like Russian roulette to see if that guy's going to be out there. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What has he started? Four games? Five games. So, I mean, he, like, it, but and, it, man, and the it Colts feels game like two. And the Colts game he left early and the Bills game he left early. Well, the, yeah, the Bills game he left in the fourth quarter. And the Colts game, you're right. He left. He he did leave early. Like after halftime, he didn't come back on the field. But I mean, but you're right. Like it's a, the the number of full games he's played this year is not a lot. Like uh, he's played fifty percent or more of the snaps in four of the games, and then in the Kansas City game, he only played forty three percent of the snaps. But you know, it's it's always hard to tell because the Titans rotate their wide receivers an obscene amount for almost no reason uh, all the time. <laughs> They're keeping AJ out there lately. Uh, yeah, yeah, because he's started to just go out there, I would assume. 
but <laughs> yeah, like, um, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that take at all. Like, I really, 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 really wish, and I don't think they, I don't think they have it this year. But I really wish the offensive line would take it on themselves to say, look, you know, from left tackle to right guard, we're the same guys that were out there last year, except Lawan, who's playing some of his best football, you know, definitely his best football of the season, but, you know, really good football now. You know, you've got Questenberry, who's playing fine. Like, I mean, he's not playing bad. People people seem to want to be, like, either he's the best best right tackle in the league or he's the worst right tackle. I mean, he, he's, he's a good right tackle. He's fine right now. Like, he's serviceable. So, like – if you've got basically the same driving factors on your offense now or in your offensive line now, it would be really nice for them to take this as a personal challenge to say, yeah. you know, this game is built on the seven of us, the five offensive linemen, the quarterback of the running back. And we just lost the guy who was pulling the most weight. We should all step up our game. But man, I just I just don't have any confidence that they're going to. I don't I don't think that this system has been taught to them correctly. Like, you know, I it it, it there's there's a disconnect in the players on the field and uh, you know what what the playbook seems to suggest they should do. So uh, that that's who I wish would step up. But yeah, I mean, it would also not be nice to see Furcher get more targets. Like he's he's shown up more and more. Like you know, sporadically. I don't like, know, man. The- I think that guy's been invisible. I mean, he had a crucial fumble recovery, but uh, he <laughs> wild he a play, t- by the way, where who was it that, that picked Tannehill and then hurt himself and fumbled as a uh, result? Oh, it was 94. Uh, Tyqu- I can't remember Tyquan the name. Lewis. Okay. Lewis is his name. Uh, crazy play. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, Ferkshire this year, he only has 100 yards, but over the last uh, three games, let's see. He has, uh, I think they've all been for first downs, but I cannot find that snap, that stat right now. Either way, like it, he seems to be, I don't know, he seems to be more visible to me. Like, because there was a while where they were just they weren't using him at all, and then there's a while where they were using him on third downs, like to just catch like twelve yards on third and fifteen, and then, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I mean. I, maybe maybe I'm over exaggerating because the stats don't look as good as I thought they would. Well, but I think I, I think bottom line here is other guys need to step up, and and that's what Vrabel said because Vrabel was asked, um, you know, does Julio need to step up? And Vrabel said there are a lot of guys that need to step up with Henry out, and I think that's the the moral of the story. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's easy to say it would be great if this guy would have a you know. Hall of Fame type season because it would help pull everything up. But yeah, I mean, that, and I'll be honest, the, the people who might pull this team, you know, through this, this, you know, eight week stretch, 10 week stretch, whatever it is, is the defense. Mm-hmm. Like, and we, we may need to talk about them and their whole thing, but I mean, they just look much better. We will get into the defense with Tyler Rowland at Tic Tac Titans, who will join us next. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Welcome back in to No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast. Matthias Wadner out. 
Tyler Rowland in at Tic Tac Titans, as he is known to many of you on Twitter, the host of the Locked On Titans podcast. Tyler, welcome in. Yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, for having me. Uh, obviously, you guys do some good work yourself, as uh, everyone is aware. So very excited just to uh, be able to talk some Titans with some of the best Titans minds that we have in the galaxy. <laughs> Tyler, I'm going to come in hot because uh, Will and I have been talking about Derrick Henry, of course. That's how we, we let mm-hmm. off the show. And of course. you had a tweet a quote tweet after the Von Miller trade was announced that has gotten a lot of controversy. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to this, either by defending yourself or saying you've changed your mind, whatever is, it's up to you. But you tweeted in all caps, you said, sit everyone. We don't need this win against the Rams. Probably would lose anyway. Uh, Julio is still hurt. Uh, Big Jeff is banged up. You said you would treat this like a bye week. Is that still your mentality, knowing what we now know about the Titans and what they've done since the Derrick Henry injury? Well, I think there's two uh, there's two factors here. Number one, yes, I still agree with the spirit of the tweet, and okay. I'll explain that in just a moment. But two, I think the tw- uh, and this is my fault ultimately. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the the tweet was taken very literally. Like I'm saying, you know, we're we're starting. Uh, Woodside, Woodside yeah. <laughs> in the game, which I, I don't want to use Woodside as an example because he's kind of one of the guys I, I really would play. Okay, but let me just break this down. So I understand that we're still in the middle of the season. So it's not like week 15 against the Saints with Derrick Henry in 2019. It's not like you got your seating wrapped up. But in my opinion, the Titans will not get the one seed because of the Derrick Henry injury. I think yeah. the Titans could still be a good team, go four and five, and and all of that. But I don't think the Titans, without Derrick Henry, have the ability to get the number one seed. And if you're not getting the number one seed, then I don't really care what seed you have uh, out of the top four, out of the division winners. I, I, I really don't care. You're playing wild card weekend at home anyways. So it's my, my opinion that the Titans cannot get the one seed but they can still win their division and should still win their division, resulting in a home playoff game. So, losing to an NFC team, NFC losses don't count towards the tiebreaker once the records are the same. So, you're not going to take a big loss there. Also, the Titans don't have their bye until week 13. So, that's quite a while away. They're one of the most, if not the most, injured teams in the NFL. Jeffrey Simmons came up gimping. Julio's obviously been dealing with injury. Tannehill has a neck injury now that seems to have some people worried. Uh, I just think all things considered, you're going on the road, across the country, in prime time, at night, against a 7-1 and football team that would be a tough out anyways. Even when the schedule came out, I had this marked as a loss. So, from my perspective... Like I I know that you know the Jets game gives some people the who, but losing to the Jets sucks. Losing to the Rams really wouldn't have that much of a negative impact. All the people talking about oh the team mentality, all of this. Look, I am much more worried about the Super Bowl chances of this football team than I am winning Sunday night football and feeling that Monday morning high that the fan base feels after a Titans win. So in my mind, a lot of people who are disagreeing with me very vehemently. 
um, are kind of being short-sighted. They just want that rush, that high of winning on prime time. I'm worried about the long-term health of this roster because I think that they can still win the Super Bowl if Henry's 10-week timeline is true. Yeah. So from my perspective, let Simmons get right. Let Tannehill rest that neck. Let Julio not put pressure on that hamstring. If you have anybody else that's banged up, let them sit. That's really what I meant by the tweet, not a, a full-scale college football <laughs> putting in the backups for the second-half situation. But, yeah, yeah I, I mean, generally speaking, like I said, I still do agree and feel strongly about the spirit of the tweet if maybe uh, the literal interpretation of the tweet is not exactly what I was intending. And, and Will, I don't know how you feel about this. I, I didn't think they had much of a chance to win this game even with Henry. <laughs> So I don't know how many times we have to do this where we need to learn don't worry about the Titans versus good teams, worry about bad teams. Like Mm -hmm. all Vrabel needs is one Vegas sports book to say that they're not the favorite, and he'll point to it all week. It's the only games he can coach. Like (laughs) the rest of it is them scraping by on sheer talent and then, you know, things they found along the way. But look. I, I have a healthy respect for Aaron Donald. I think he's the best defensive player to potentially ever play. Like we'll see in three years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, for me, it's Reggie white, but that's Tennessee bias. And that's, that's fine. I admit that. Uh, but yeah, like the defense is playing better than they played in forever. Uh, the offense seems to finally remember to target AJ Brown, you know, if Adrian Peterson can give you, and even say Deonta Foreman, if they can give you a combined four yards, 4.2 yards on 27 carries, I mean, you can run basically the same offense. Like, I, now, now you could say put Jalen Ramsey on A.J. Brown and the deal with that, but you could also say put A.J. Brown in the slot like they've been doing more lately and have yes. him play where he's least comfortable and then say, okay, if that's what you want to do. We're going to put him here. We're going to put Julio on the other side, if you or like right beside him, if he plays, and we're going to run play action right there, and you're either going to respect that, and you know we won't run it, and we'll take our chances, or you won't respect it, and you've got to find a way to slow Adrian Peterson and Deontay Foreman and uh, McNichols down to three or you know a sub three yard per carry, and then hope that Tannehill doesn't do something special like he does every now and then. Yeah, I, 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 I agree that this is the thing. I agree the game is winnable. I, I think the, the genesis of my tweet is more based on the fact mm-hmm. that I want this team to be healthy in the yeah. long term mm-hmm. than it is the fact that I'm so scared of the Rams. It's a guaranteed loss, yeah. blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. You know, I don't, I, the point is I don't care yeah. whether they win or lose the game. They could win the game. Great. But what I don't want to happen is to sacrifice that I would rather lose the game and have a healthy roster to get to the playoffs than to win the game and maybe sacrifice Jeffrey Simmons, who's out there playing on a bum foot, or sacrifice Ryan Tannehill, who's playing with a bum neck, or Julio Jones ripped that hamstring or something. Because if, if Julio goes down, if Tannehill goes down, if Simmons goes down in a severe way, then then the Super Bowl hopes, in my opinion, are over. Because the, the thing that kills the Titans is that people crowd the line of scrimmage, they play tight man coverage, and they shadow A.J. Brown with a robber or a zone, mm-hmm. or a zone guy, and there's no answer that the Titans had. So that's why you go out and you get Julio Jones, so that if a team does that, then you have Julio to win his matchup over and over. So I guess I, 
more than winning or losing against the Rams or whether the Titans have the team to do it. It's just more about the long-term health of this team because I still, for better or for worse, smart or dumb, think this team can win the Super Bowl if they get Henry back for the playoffs and they stay healthy on their way there. They cannot afford more injuries and and to kind of sacrifice these guys in a game that I think a loss just doesn't really have the same ramifications as a loss to an AFC team. Well, and that's why I'm not willing to talk about, you know, well, do the expectations change? Because, like, I won't know the answer to that question until the first round of the playoffs and whether I see if Henry's off of IR. Like, it right. for me, it entirely depends on that. We'll get more into the Rams matchup in just a little bit. First, I want to talk about life without Derrick Henry because Will and I talked about the same thing Vrabel talked about on Monday, which is they're not going to reinvent the wheel. This isn't going to be an entirely new team. But by the same token you're losing a huge volume guy, and the Titans probably aren't going to be running the ball 30 times a game anymore. It's still going to be the same identity. It's still going to be run the ball, take play action shots downfield, but it's going to be a lower volume of the run game. So so what needs to happen schematically, whether it's with Peterson or McNichols or whoever, for this offense to keep scoring points? Well, you, you know how when you watch certain games, they, they talk about certain pass plays as being an extension of the run game? I think some of those things have to come into play for the Titans. Now, I'm with you. It, let's say Derrick Henry has 30 carries a game. Well, I still think the Titans should be around 25. I, I don't think that anything needs to drastically change. You get Peterson 15. You get McNichols 5 to 8. You let Foreman supplement in there as well. Mm-hmm. But for me, they're going to have to do more in, in the screen game and not to the running back. Have we seen a, a tight end screen so far this year? I think we got one or two so far this year. Uh, wide receiver screens aren't really things that the Titans like to do very well. So I think if you can get the ball into A.J. Brown's hand on a wide receiver screen, tunnel screens, bubble screens, more jet sweeps, I think using a Chester Rogers, using A.J. Brown, we've seen a little bit of that here and there. Uh, I think the real big difference, schematically speaking, is the type of runs that they will be doing. So obviously the Titans rely on a heavy zone run scheme, but we have seen some varied run action from the Titans this year, some pools, Mm -hmm. some traps, some counters, misdirection, some things outside of just the zone scheme. And Adrian Peterson throughout his career has not been a zone runner. He's been a man or a gap runner in terms of the type of runs that get called ISO runs with the fullback traps, misdirection, counters, stuff like that. So I, I think that the Titans need to do, more to manufacture run type of plays with wide receiver screens, um, jet motion, jet sweeps, things like that. But they also need to continue to vary the type of runs that they do to match what Peterson has done throughout his career. So slight changes here and there, adjustments, I would call them. But yeah, like you guys said, like Vrabel said, you can't overhaul the system in week nine and they shouldn't do that anyways. Yeah. And it is nice that they have a lot of that in there. Like you said, like I would like to see a lot more trap, like, Yep. But, you know, the, the thing that scares me with screen passes is until they stop playing the receivers so close, you get in all that traffic and that's where you get kind of uh, – you don't, you don't want a tipped pass. Like we've seen a couple of those. Like we saw one in the Colts game that didn't – so that bothers me. But, yeah, like you said, uh, what, it was the touchdown pass to Westbrook Aquina maybe this past mm-hmm. week where they had that, that motion that Henry went yep. out and flanked out and Henry let a flare out. out. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. like we we've seen that stuff in this you know in the playbook. It's just now right. you throw it to that guy, you know, yep. or, or you just keep throwing touchdowns, which is fine too. But yeah, like I, I mean, 
for as much as I have not liked Todd down and getting away from, you know, the more outside zone heavy bootleg, like play action, like the, the stuff that really seemed to create those explosive plays, especially early in the season when it was like, why can't the wide receivers get off press cover? It's like, well, you know, like if you would run play action, you'd give them three more steps to do it, but that's a whole different thing. But I guess my point is it's good that that's all in the system now. It's good that we've seen more gap Mm -hmm. runs. It's good that we've seen more double team, you know, straight ahead stuff, because you're right. Like I think Peterson in Washington ran that outside zone some, but primary, I mean, you know, 85% of his hall of fame career, he spent, you know, running gap scheme stuff. So, I, I mean, we know it's in the playbook. It, We've heard the offensive line talk. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, it's all still power. It's all still, you know, they, they talk about it's all the same thing, which it really is, but there's a difference. Like mm-hmm. when when you're like, hey, let's just start running power and you don't know, it's like, well, you know, what if you've got a center who can't block and drive the one technique out, doesn't know, how, you know, th- there's little inches where you see guys trip and you see these big blown up plays. So I'm glad that they've at least practiced that going forward. Yeah, and that's a fair concern, too, because quite frankly, I think that Ben Jones maybe had his worst game of the season against the Colts on Sunday. He had a really tough time reaching on on those you know reach blocks in the zone, trying to get across yeah. the face of the nose tackle. Uh, he had a really tough time. Now, one of the reasons Indy is so good on defense is because of how athletic and fast their defensive line and their linebackers are. So it creates, just in general, it creates a, a schematic problem for the Titans because of the speed that they have on the D-line. And at the second level, so, you know, obviously Ben Jones going up against Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner, that's that's a tough task. So I'm not trying to crush him, but I I guess I understand your concerns. You don't want to put too much pressure on guys who aren't used to doing certain things. And the reason that the Titans draft and go after certain guys is because they fit their scheme. From, from a player profile standpoint. And a lot of the Titans offensive linemen don't fit a power or gap scheme. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be too crazy. And like you said, you don't want to get away from your identity too much. But I think have it, having the varied run game and having some things in the playbook that we haven't seen the last few years will help the Titans when teams really start shutting down their bread and butter. So it, it, everything that we're talking about, like you talked about the wide receiver screens, you know, the Titans should see more two safety looks now mm-hmm. without Derrick yep. Henry as well, which may give them a little bit more room to execute some of those line of scrimmage attack plays. Uh, but it's a balance. You know, you, you go one, too far one direction, you lose. You go too far the other direction, you can't keep up. So you do have to, you know, do that balance, walk that tightrope. But I'm pretty impressed with Todd Downing overall so far. Not really the drop-off people were expecting from Arthur Smith. And like I said, he's added a lot of those extra things that we're seeing. So I kind of have faith right now that that Todd Downing will, will strike the right balance for the team and and maybe some games that are uh, that are – Less difficult than, than yeah, Sunday that, that night. Matter. I'm washing Sunday. I'm <laughs> washing Sunday night away, no matter what happens, because of of the newness of not having Henry, and because the Rams are just so dang good. So I want to talk. Let me let me uh, ask ahead, both y'all real quick. I, I want to ask both y'all real quick while we're kind of still on this subject. What? How many wins do you think takes the one seed in the AFC? Thirteen. That's, that's I'm thinking thirteen too. Like, are, 13. are we sure the Titans can't get to thirteen with Miami, the Texans twice, are they the now Jaguars? seven and two? Six and two. No, six and six, six and, two. and two. Now they get uh, the Texans twice, the Jaguars, Miami, uh, New Orleans without Jameis Winston. Could have Philip Rivers though, and Sean well, Payton yeah, is a good. True. Sean Payton is a good coach too. Sure. So, and their defense is incredible. The sure. Titans are playing at home, but like the New the, Orleans game, San New Francisco, 
New and England Pittsburgh. is fishy too. I think. Yeah, exactly. But, Those but four Vrabel games right there are X factor games. Yeah, I think I, I, I think he'll be able to take care of it. Yeah, I think he would. I, I think he like loves Belichick in a way where he's like, I want to kill you and take your throne. Not, yeah. not like <laughs> right. I would never hurt this guy. It's like yeah. it's survival of the fittest. And he wants to get out of that shadow. But yeah, like at, at the end of the day, I think, I, I think you're right. If they manage to win the Rams game, all bets are off. I, yeah. if they, then they, then they should be full throttle towards the one seed. If not mm-hmm. just, to, you know, ease back and rest guys. And let's say this too, because Will, you brought up the comment Never count out Mike Grable's Titans, no matter how good the team is, right? I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. When they have the all-time great running back in the backfield, I think that might change a little bit without him, no? I mean, yeah, like, it, 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 it always helps to have Hall of Fame talent. But there's been several games where, I mean, the last two specifically, but, where but, okay. they, now, we, we argue I, I know, about know, this. The reason well, but, that because they crept up so much against Henry. Yeah, because they see twenty two in the backfield, which is why I think Adrian Peterson should have just worn twenty two for a while, and then they should have switched <laughs> back and given him eight or whatever, like later, and just say like, "Hey, like I'm pretty sure that's the same guy," and just spread rumors that he was fine. But yeah, like you're you're right, but it's hard because there's never been like that. There hasn't been a time with Mike Frable when he hasn't had Henry other than that Saints game, like we talked about. And uh, I mean, what what do we have to compare it to? Like such a small sample size to yeah. you know, like I you know, shout out. Obviously, everybody knows Mike Miracles, and and he made the point like you know, Tannehill played very well. And quite honestly, if not for a dirty hit against Khalif Raymond that didn't get called, that the NFL admitted should have been called, where he fumbled on that final drive, I think the Titans would have beat the Saints without yeah. Derrick Henry, and they yeah. were right in position to do it. So for, for my money, like Mike said, very small sample size, of course, but we have seen the Titans without Derrick Henry at least one time before, yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't a complete massacre against the Saints team that was really good. So fr- from that perspective, obviously they're not going to creep up as much as they do with Henry, but I, don't, I am a firm believer that the play action can work whether the run game is working or mm-hmm. not. So while they may not be as far up, I still think the Titans can do what they want to do with Peterson. And, and quite honestly, I might end up being wrong here, but I think Peterson's going to play well. I, I yeah. think he's a freak of nature, and I think that he had good efficiency. In 2018, it was like 4.3 yards per carry mm-hmm. on the 16th best rushing team. And then the year after, it was 4.2 yards per carry on like the 22nd best rushing team in the NFL. And then after that, it's 3.9 last year on Detroit, and they were like the 26th best rushing team in the NFL. So yeah. Adrian Peterson was still 4 yards per carry efficient on bad running teams. While Derrick Henry makes this team a good running team, a lot of that credit has to go to the system and the offensive line as well. So you're putting Adrian Peterson, who's still been efficient late in his career, in a system that's better than he's played in over the last three years. So I still think a, uh, AP or AD don't, you know, don't want to get everybody <laughs> going in the dumbest internet controversy of the week. We'll get, we'll get uh, Braden Gall on this podcast next oh, week to geez. break that down. But, uh, I, I just think that Peterson is Peterson's gonna do enough to where teams won't be able to just oh we don't got to worry about the run anymore. I, yeah, I don't think yeah. that's gonna be able to happen. The Titans still want to run the ball down your throat in nature at at their core, and I think Peterson 
still has enough in the tank to allow them to keep doing that and and maybe not as much of a threat, but still a similar threat on defenses that shouldn't fundamentally change how people play them. Something that's not going to be affected by Derrick Henry's injury is this Titans pass rush, which is the best it's been under Mike Vrabel. And when I look at it, it seems like a really great marriage of individual efforts, right? Harold Landry's playing out of his mind. Danica Watry's playing some of the best of his career. Mm-hmm. Dupree's made some plays. Simmons is great, of course. It's it's a marriage of that and a really good job by Shane Bowen, I think. And when right. I when I asked Jeffrey Simmons sort of what is it about this pass rush that's allowing it to to start converting these pressures into sacks, which they were unable to do in the past, he said, well, we're coordinated. And when I asked uh, Bowen about that, he said, guys are, are doing this thing where one guy's pushing the quarterback in a direction, and because they're they're coordinated, that direction is also filled. You're you're a film guy. You've watched every one of these sacks. What's happening? Talk to us about that. Explain why this pass rush is so good. Sure, and and Luke, I gotta say, I, I love the the slight humble brag there. I asked Jeffrey Simmons, and when <laughs> I talked to Shane Bone, yeah, yeah, we got you're on the site, you know, but uh. I think that um, it's using the the talent that they have in the proper way. So when Jeffrey Simmons talks about being coordinated, the Titans on the defensive line run a ton of stunts and games and twists. So they're not just doing a straight pass rush where, hey, use a pass rush move and beat the guy uh, in front of you and get to the quarterback. That's not what these Titans pass rushers are going to be best at. Uh, Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons have done a great job of working off of each other. So, for example, let, let me give you an example of uh, a, a scheme that they went to on the defensive line over and over against the Chiefs. So what they would do is they would have these deep loops by either Landry or Bud Dupree. They would yeah. have a deep loop on one side. And then what they would do is they would slant the defensive line, the other defensive lineman, that way as well. So what would happen is, is Patrick Mahomes would see the slant coming in one direction, and then he would try to avoid that. And because the loop by the edge rusher was so deep, mm-hmm. it would basically force Patrick Mahomes backwards into the deep loop by the pass rusher. So that is that is something that looks like, oh, you know, Bud Dupree just got too deep. He went past the quarterback. But in nature, that pass rush game is designed to push Patrick Mahomes to that spot. Uh, another thing that you see him do a lot is the Harold Landry loop, is what I like to call it, the Landry loop. They'll have uh, Bud Dupree on one side as the edge, and then they'll stack Autry, Simmons, and Landry on the other side from the guard shoulder outside. And what they'll do is they'll have Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry slant towards the offensive tackle to the edge, and then they'll have Landry loop past their butts back inside towards the guard in the center. And Landry's so fast that the interior offensive linemen, who are generally less athletic than the tackles, they can't keep up with the speed. So I, I guess they're using different kinds of twists and stunts to, to do the right thing for, for the offense that they're against. I could say against, against the Bills, what they did was, because you don't want Josh Allen to get out of the pocket. That's the last thing that you want. So they were running some of those twists and stunts, but they would just run them with the interior guys, or they would do an end and tackle stunt, and they would make sure, like, Tyer Tart on one specific play against the Bills, he did a stunt with the edge rusher where he was at defensive tackle, but he got so wide on his portion of the stunt that it actually prevented Josh Allen from rolling out to his right side and, and making a play on second reaction, which is where he's best and where a lot of these quarterbacks 
are best at. So that when Jeffrey Simmons says they're coordinated, they're not just running these games and stunts, but they're doing it in such a way that they are specifically moving the quarterback to a spot that should be covered by somebody else. And those are three examples of stunts that they've used that have been different, but have executed the same kind of idea. You know, I want to follow up on the on the defense as a whole because we know the talent's better. Seven new starters. They brought in the new pass rushers. There's no more you know, really scrubs. I hate using that word because it's so pejorative, but, I mean, let's right. be honest. But what's changed coaching-wise? Because so much was made this offseason about, well, Shane Bowen's the guy now and Vrabel's out, and here's Jim Schwartz who's serving as a consultant. What are you seeing on the tape that has changed from a – technique, coaching, and schematic standpoint? Well, I I think like referencing back what Simmons said, he says they're more coordinated. And I know that we all still complain about the 10 yards off the ball, but sometimes it's as simple as the guys are coached up better. And I think a lot of that has to do with last year, Shane Bowen was kind of a pseudo defensive coordinator, but he was still the outside linebacker coach. Yep. So he's developing a plan but he's not really working with the defensive line and the secondary over and over and yeah. over again every single day. So now when he's telling the edge rushers and the interior D-line, hey, we're running this stunt, it's going to accomplish this. Now he also has the opportunity to spend a lot of time talking to the secondary. Like, hey, when we run this stunt up front, it should give you this much time or the quarterback will be forced in the pocket this way, which means he'll be looking to this side of the field. So, like, something that the Titans did against the Colts that's a great example. What they did late in that game, because the Colts like to go to their tight ends and their running backs so much, if the Colts put their tight end and their running back on the same side of the formation and then ran trips with their three wide receivers on the other side, the Titans would go zone on the three wide receiver side, and they would man up with Molden and David Long on the on the running back and the uh, tight end on the other side. And that actually resulted in a third down stop for him late in the fourth quarter. And it also was a big part in the molden pick six at the end of regulation because the Titans were in a pseudo zone on one side of the field, but molden was still man coverage on the tight end because they know what the Colts want to do. So I think having the communication of Shane Bowen, being able to tell the secondary what they should get from the stunt, the Titans are running up front and that allows them to be more prepared for that and in a better position that that obviously helps. But I also think it's as simple as, Shane Bowen is making sure these guys, and I found it very interesting. Earlier in the year, you remember when Mike Vrabel said that Jackrabbit Jenkins was not coached to be as far off the wide receiver as he was. He said that in the press conference. I remember that. (laughs) And to me, that, that, you know, Mike doesn't give you a lot in those pressers. But when he said that, I was like, oh, oh, so he's saying it's not our fault that these guys are off their man so much. So I, I think it's a simple fix of the guys on the field doing what they're being told to do, which is hard for us to always know. But also, like we've talked about over the last three minutes, the schematics of what the Titans are doing do fit together better. But I think a lot of that is because Shane Bowen gets to touch every single position group and deliver his message directly rather than be filtered through the position coach and it make it seem like Bowen's not really the guy in charge. Yeah, like, it, this is all fascinating. I love talking about this kind of stuff. Like, to me, what I notice uh, is we were talking about the stunts, like the tackling stunts and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It seems like they're being coached in a completely different way. Like, you mm-hmm. talked about getting the depth. Like, the, it's not 
this is Harold Landry. This is bad podcasting, but it's not (laughs) like they're right here and they're just going to cross right here, which is what it was last year. A lot. It's it's, I'm going to get my depth and I'm going to force that offensive tackle to turn his hips to me. And then as soon as he does that, he's going to feel the guard being run right into him by Simmons because Simmons is going to have that inside shoulder driving because he knows that he's going to end up taking that gap while Landry loops back and you're going to have from B gap to B gap where you've got Landry in space on a quarterback. And if he gets flushed, he's going to get flushed into Autry or Simmons right or whoever. And, yep. that, and that is not the way they were co- – that, that, that is one of the most – because defensive line coach didn't change. So to me, that is one of the most indicative things of this is my evidence, number one, that this is not the same defense. They're not running those three-man rushes. If they right. do, they run it on third and 16, and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, they're running those four-man. Their games are much crisper. They're much more yes. intentional, not just you two go like this, and hopefully y'all can figure something out after that. So that, to me, is why I'm like, this, if this is the way Shane Bowen coaches, he was not coaching them last year, or he was coaching in a much more restricted way. Like, which I believe I that. All, I believe that. Yeah, I think we all think. I think we all know that Vrabel was doing it, and he had final say and all this stuff. But it's one of those things where, you know, at the end of the season, I'm going to ask everybody, you know, what what do you think Vrabel brings to this team? Because I go, I, I end up having this conversation every year where I don't necessarily think Vrabel is a great coach. I don't think he schematically on defense I don't think he offers much I think his history as a defensive coordinator in that one year in Houston shows that I think that that's what we've seen I think he's exceptional at finding other coaches who can do a job well but anytime he seems to have direct involvement and stuff it seems to mess up well I have a I have a thing that I have been pushing for a minute now and I look to a guy like John Harbaugh so John Harbaugh was a special teams coach He's not a a schematic guy on defense. He's not a schematic guy on offense. And Baltimore always has very intelligent coordinators, whether it be Dean Pease, Wink Martindale on defense, uh, you know, whether it be Greg Roman on the offense. John Harbaugh is a leader of men. He's really good at managing games, understand in terms of, you know, when to challenge, when to take timeouts things like that, when to go for it, when to kick. And Vrabel's not perfect by any means, and he's still a young coach, if we're honest with ourselves. Uh, So from my perspective, I think Mike Vrabel is a very good head coach, but I think he's a very bad defensive coordinator. So as as, as long as Vrabel follows the path of Harbaugh and more than trying to be a defense, Vrabel is not Sean McDermott. Vrabel is John Harbaugh. Be a leader in the locker room. You, He always touts, hey, I've been everything you can be as a player in the NFL. Yep. I've been everything you can be as a coach in the NFL. Well, use that wealth of knowledge and lead the men. And then in return, lead your assistants as well. Yeah. As long as Mike Vrabel makes sure that he has intelligent, schematic coordinators, I think he can be a phenomenal coach just like John Harbaugh is. But a lot of this comes back to Mike Vrabel's ego. And I've, you know, the hot take, we, we started out talking about a hot take tweet. Some people took this as a hot take over the offseason, but I've said Mike Vrabel's ego has gotten in the way of the Tennessee Titans' success well, that's not a hot throughout take. turns. <laughs> that's yeah, not I don't a hot think take. so either. You're in a I safe don't think space so here. either. But you guys know how that is. We heard. 
about the the malcontent with him and Dean Pease during the playoffs in 2019 oh, yeah. when Vrabel tried a hostile takeover of the defensive play calling, and we've had the players even talk about the fact that that happened. So for my money, the the formula is clear now, and the success on defense with Shane Bowen officially getting that title makes it even more clear to me. Mike Vrabel is a John Harbaugh type, not a Sean McDermott type, and the key is for Mike Vrabel to realize that himself. And I think by giving, whether it was forced on him by John Robinson or whether he realized it himself, either way, Mike Vrabel has to see now that the, the path forward for him to be a, the best coach he can be is to be John Harbaugh, not Sean McDermott. And I think what we've all talked about the last 10 minutes about the defense and how it's all coordinated, it's the proof is in the pudding there. That's the best yeah. defense that the Titans have had for a while. Um, at least with the eye test. And I think a lot of that has to do with Shane Bowen running the yeah. show, not Mike Vrabel. I think Vrabel is sort of the anti-Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson was a great play caller offensively right. and was an abject disaster when he had to organize human beings and run a team. It was like Michael yes. Scott, according to everyone <laughs> that was there. Vrabel's a bad play caller, but he's great yes. at getting guys on the same page and, and sort of running the organization. Well, Last- maybe too much. It may be, you know, not to cut, but it may be, it may be too much to try to run the defense and be too involved in the defense yeah. while also managing all the other in game stuff that Vrabel has shown he's really good at. That the playoff yeah. game in New England, wasting the time. I mean, Vrabel does a pretty good job with game management stuff. So I think maybe having his plate full with game management and with defense is a little bit too much for him ultimately at the end of the day. Last thing for you, Tyler, as we look ahead to this Titans versus Rams Sunday night football game. When I look at this Rams team, and the matchup against the Titans, there's one player that stands out to me. It's not Aaron Donald, actually. It's Jalen Ramsey. Because I think if you were to ask me, who are the top five defensive players in the NFL? Two of them are on this defense. It's Aaron Donald and, and Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey is a different kind of guy as a cornerback. Yep. And look, I love A.J. Brown as much as the next guy, but l- let's pretend they're not you know, sitting everyone, and let's let's pretend they really want to win this game if Julio Jones is not available and the Rams are able to simply put Jalen Ramsey on A.J. Brown and, and maybe even in addition to that, like you mentioned, play Rob or, or, or move a safety over there, I think with the talent of Jalen Ramsey, even as good as A.J. Brown is, I think that effectively takes him out. And then it's Ryan Tannehill and a 36-year-old running back against two Hall of Fame pass rushers. Like, if Julio Jones can't go this week, I think it could be a nightmare for this Titans offense. Yeah, I definitely do. And, and and the reality is that Todd Downing would have to get incredibly creative with what he does on offense. You're going to have to use A.J. Brown in motion quite a bit. You're going to have to move him all over the formation. I will say, while Jalen Ramsey cut his teeth as an outside corner, so far this year with the Rams defense, he's played the star position quite a bit, playing that slot cornerback role, kind of like how the Titans used Logan Ryan. Mm-hmm. Back in the, you know back when he was with the Titans as a slot cornerback, uh, they've been using Jalen Ramsey in that role. They call it the star. Well, when you're defense. when you're that talented, it doesn't matter. Just put him out you there. Can do and anything. Let him cover. So, so the Titans basically have to figure out how they're using 
Jalen Ramsey at the start, whether they're going to leave him in that star position, even if AJ's outside, or if he's literally going to follow AJ everywhere. And if he's going to follow AJ everywhere, they're just going to have to use AJ in motion to try to give him a little bit of breath away from Ramsey off the, off the line of scrimmage. I, I think that AJ can get open on Ramsey if he's not completely stalled up at the line of scrimmage on press, which Jalen Ramsey can be so good at. So uh, I think that the Titans will just have to use AJ Brown in a lot of motion. To, to get him a little bit of freedom. And like I talked about, those wide receiver screens, those jet screens, they're going to have to find ways to get the ball into A.J. Brown's hands in creative ways that's not just, hey, go beat Jalen Ramsey one-on-one. So that, that'll be what I'm watching for is how creative Downing can get with A.J. Brown, but certainly a very difficult matchup. And again, that factored into the calculus of my <laughs> hot take tweet uh, about kind of trying to get guys healthy this week and, and treating it as a pseudo bye week because I, I just don't see a, a ton of avenues to a Titans win right now. And, mm-hmm. and I think that there's more benefit to the team long term to get guys healthy than it is to go out there and try your best uh, to win a game and maybe sacrifice some health to do that because uh, without it, especially if Julio isn't out there to win that other matchup, then you're hundred percent right. It's going to be that much more difficult, but creativity from downing uh, is really what it's going to come down to, to manufacture touches for AJ Brown. Cause you can't just forget about AJ Brown and try to go other places. You got to do whatever you can to get him the ball. Hey Tyler, we're pretty selective about who we choose to bring on this podcast, but you do such great content on Twitter and, and with the locked on Titans podcast that we knew this would be awesome and it was. So so thank you so much for hopping on with us. It's been really fun. Yeah, not a problem. Honestly, I do the show by myself. So there are only, you know, five or six guys and or gals in the entire world who you can have really in-depth, intelligent Titans conversation with. So uh, more than anything else, incredibly enjoyable. And I just want to tell all the listeners if they can get through the hot take tweets here and there, <laughs> I hope they enjoy the film content as well. You can follow uh, Tyler on Twitter at Tic Tac Titans. Go subscribe to or follow the uh, almost at the No Nonsense podcast. Do that, but also go subscribe to and follow Locked on Titans podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Tyler, thanks so much. Yep. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Up next, Stop the Nonsense. Welcome back. No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, week nine edition. Luke Worsham and Will Lomas here with you. Before we get to Stop the Nonsense, Will, I I missed a a message that you sent me while we were talking to Tyler. You said uh, you have one hot take. I wish I had let you explain that to Tyler, but we're here now. What, What is your one hot take? So my one hot take, and I've talked about it on Twitter a little bit, it's almost like a preemptive Stop the Nonsense is okay if the Titans beat the Rams, like if the Rams, you know, have lose or whatever, but if they lose and the Titans win, I think there is a 90% chance that Mike Variable wins coach of the year. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> but you're, that, you're but right, think- though, because if they go on, like we, we've talked about, I don't think we've actually said it explicitly. The Titans go five and four, or excuse me, four and five over the rest of the season. The Colts would have to go eight and one to win the division. And right. that's not happening. So the Colts aren't winning unless the Titans take some kind of meteoric collapse. But right. let's say they go six and two. Or what? They've got nine games left. Let's say they go six and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you're you're right because the narrative is going to be well. Look at the job Mike Vrabel did after losing his best player. Yeah, yeah. It's like people don't pay attention to the six-two cushion he's going to start with, <laughs> and if and if he beats if he beats the Rams this week, he if they if they beat the Rams this week, they're going to be seven and two. They're the number one seed in the AFC now. So regardless, he's already going to have under his belt that he lost Derrick Henry and that they were the number one seed when he went down. People are going to have to pick a narrative, and if they beat the Rams, it's going to be this is just a really well-coached team, not, wow, A.J. Brown is phenomenal, and it turns out that they have a really good roster that's been built correctly. And so it's not going to be Robinson getting credit for you know what, what's been built. It's going to be, wow, Mike Vrabel really can't take anybody and win a championship. Like, and it's going to shift to that. Then, without Derrick Henry, he's going to get to play. And we talked about this. Uh, he's going to get to play Miami, the Texans twice, Jacksonville again, yep. and Jacksonville is going to be at home. It's like it, it, that. Now, Mike Vrabel has shown he's capable of losing to anybody. He, he'll lose to the worst of them. Like so, you know it, what that that's its own thing. But just if if the team plays like they should play, you know, and they'll win some and they'll lose some. That's what that would be five wins right there because uh, I'm factoring in a win to the Rams. I mean, that's already 11 wins. I don't, I don't know that the, uh, the bills or the Bengals, I don't know that they're going to necessarily end up with 13 wins. I think 12 wins may get it. And, you know, 12 wins when you have tiebreakers with, Buffalo and Kansas City in case they go on a run. Like if you tie them, you get the one seed. Like Lord help us if Vrabel gets the one seed, then it's a lock. But and man, yeah, I, I, that I think this is sort of the start of the most fun part of the NFL season. Obviously the playoffs are the, are the most fun, but of the regular season because now we kind of know who everyone is. Like mm-hmm. there's really a, a five, six week period to start the season where you know, teams that stunk last year that are playing well, you're still not convinced. They're still looking for that signature win. With the Titans, right, we had to wait for them to beat the Bills before we could say, okay, they actually are pretty good, and they haven't taken a step back. It's going to be fun, I think, over the rest of the season to watch how the AFC plays out, especially because the guys in front are not necessarily who expected to be. I mean, goodness gracious, you you know the, the, the Bills were going to be good. They were in the AFC Championship last year. You knew the Titans were going to be good, maybe not quite as good as they have been, uh, but the Raiders and the Bengals, like, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, once you, you know, are the Chargers good because they, you know, they looked like they were good because they beat uh, the Chiefs early, but then it turns out the Ravens were good, and then it's like, is the, are the Ravens good? Like, yeah. you go through that whole, that whole minutia of who's actually good and who's, bad we just don't know it yet like i had that run and tweet that i've been tweeting about how week one is a liar and then it's like you know yes. since week one the titans are and i've done it for three weeks in a row times got show teeth that, kicked in in week one yeah but that i mean but that happens like i mean like you know back then the browns and the uh chiefs was the we, that was the big game of the week and yeah. and that and you know and, and both of those teams are back, flooring yeah. out right now yeah i mean the the chiefs came back and beat the browns and put up 38 points and mahomes doesn't lose in september he never throws an interception in september all this stuff 
fast forward to now, and he's got the longest active streak uh, of quarterback of interceptions thrown by a quarterback. Like I, I think, like in a career, like a, in history, like I think he's tied for like seven games in a row with an interception. I like, bet Joe Burrow's I mean, MVP odds are higher than his. I bet if you checked. In fact, let me check. I, I would. I would imagine it would be. Joe Burrow, or imagine it'd be Kyler, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, probably Josh Allen, Kyler, Joe Burrow. But like everybody was saying that Baker Mayfield was the savior. And now, I mean, we, this is trade deadline Tuesday that we're talking to you on. And people were like, should the, uh, char- should the Browns be trying to move Baker Mayfield? Like I saw that cause I follow that dog pound account on Twitter and they were talking about, it. it's like, you know, you guys are crazy and all that. And it's like, you know the Broncos started out three and zero, and now they're four and four, and they traded Von Miller. Like you just don't know. So you're right. This is the most fun part of the season because now you're like, all right, that guy's good, that guy's not. You know it. But then again, you still have teams like the Jets beating the Bengals. So it's like, are the Jets just these weird giant killers that can't handle like the middleweights and they can only beat the number one seeds in the AFC or what? So, looking at BetMGM's odds for NFL MVP, before we get to Stop the Nonsense, uh, Patrick Mahomes is actually sandwiched between two Titans. Uh, He is sandwiched between Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, incidentally. Uh, I I, I don't know how this has been updated. I assume it has been updated because Henry is like 12th, which I would assume he would have been much higher before the injury. So... uh, Yeah, so after the even injury, after the injury, much slower. Even yeah. after the injury, Derrick Henry still has the chance to beat Patrick Mahomes in this award. Uh, but also ahead of Mahomes, in addition to Henry, are Joe Burrow, Derek Carr, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, and then all of the guys we would have expected to be like Brady and Allen. So yeah, stop the nonsense, time. Will, what do you got? So mine is a, I've decided to just pick a team that I think played the trade deadline absolutely incorrectly. Uh, and Please don't say the Titans. <laughs> yeah, they should have given up a pick for Deshaun Jackson, even though he got cut. No, uh, it's the Broncos. Like, they traded Von Miller because, you know, cool, you get a second, third round pick. But then they come out with, uh, you know, a big press conference today that says, you know, we're, we're not rebuilding. This is not that. I mean, they've got uh, Fuller. I think it's Kyle. It's one of the Fuller brothers. Uh, like. He was somebody that people were asking about. Tim Patrick is a wide receiver that people were asking about. Uh, uh, the running back whose name is escaping me because it's not Gordon. Mel- it's not Melvin Gordon, is it? Oh yeah, okay. So I, I always get Melvin Gordon and Melvin Ingram mixed up, but it's like they had you know three or four guys that they could have moved high day three picks for, like maybe a low, you know, maybe a third, like a compensatory third or something, like. They could have made it much easier to go out and get, you know, Russell Wilson or go out and get Aaron Rodgers this year. But because they're so afraid of getting basically the head coach and general manager, although I don't know why the general manager would be, but that that front office is so afraid of getting fired that they were, you know, they want to try to scrap and get every win they can. But I mean, like, you got to know when to quit because you're not catching the Raiders. Like, I mean, you're not like the Chargers are probably going to beat up on you too. And I really like the Broncos, but this is a misevaluation of where you are. And this is the kind of stuff that led to, you know, the collapse of the Jacksonville team because they thought they were going to keep all their people. Like, 
every good up and coming team that reaches sort of the end of this era and doesn't buy into the rebuild just ends up sinking straight down. And it's just a massive misstep. I'm, I'm going to do a football one too. My stop the go. nonsense this week uh, stems from Vrabel's Monday press conference, but it's not anything he said. It's a reaction to what he said. So Vrabel had a comment, but, and we know, like anybody who's been a Titans fan or reporter knows that Mike Vrabel does not give injury timelines for players. It was one of the first things out of his mouth about Henry. Teresa asked, what's Henry's status? He said, Henry's going to have surgery tomorrow. We're not going to put a timeline on him. And and I respect Vrabel for doing that because I agree with him that it is unfair to the player to give a timeline because, you know, if if, if they go over the timeline, it's, well, you know, the, the coach lied to the media or whatever. Like, no one wins with a timeline. And so uh, he was asked a question about the surgery or something, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm sure the doctors, you know, doctors love timelines. They're going to come in and they're going to give us a timeline, but... You know, we're just we're not going to listen to it. We're going to be focused on Derek, and and you know when he's ready, he's ready. Well, goodness, I, I like I heard that and didn't even think anything of it. I'm like, hey, that's Mike Vrabel being Mike Vrabel. That's what he does, and it's a you know pretty good strategy, I think. Well, so many people took that as you know headline: Mike Vrabel will not listen to doctors. I'm like, wait, what? Because I, I got I was getting texts as I'm leaving the facility, like, what in the world was that from Vrabel? And it was people who had just like read the quote. And mm-hmm. and, and I think sharing that quote without context, like I saw it pop up on, on an ESPN thing. Like, you know, just without the context, Vrabel, the doctors will give us a timeline, but we won't listen to it. Like so that lacks major context. But yeah. also the people who read that or heard that and their reaction was, oh, Vrabel's going to dismiss the doctors and take this into his own hands. Like, why would why would that be your takeaway? What he very clearly meant by that was, look, we're not we're not gonna put an expectation on Henry. He'll be ready when he's ready. We'd love for that to be before the end of the season if that's when it happens. That is 100% what Vrabel meant by that comment. And anything else is like weirdly conspiratorial and and just crazy. There's fun conspiracies and then there's just people being dumb. And this is just people being dumb. Like, I, like I, I only knew about this through you tweeting it when it happened. But like, I, I, heard, I heard the quote, like, what, what moron is like, oh, no. He just said he's just gonna like wing it. It's like I, no. I had as I was leaving the facility and I had two texts on my phone. What in the world was that from Vrabel? You know, I would just forward them the uh, when Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson like had that. It's like, well, their foot injuries are gonna be two <laughs> to, to 12, twelve weeks or whatever. Yeah, it's, it yeah five to twelve. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was that, and it was like. And he made fun. That's what he's referring to. <laughs> is like, and he, he is basically he, made fun of Frank Reich. Yeah. Yeah, and he was like, look, there's no difference in 6 to 10 and 5 to 12. Like, when you give that wide of a range, just say you don't know. Like, you just say that there's several different hurdles you have to clear, and people clear them at their own pace, and when he gets there, he's going to get there. Like, that's what he's implying. Like, he's saying that there should be no, like, everybody is healthy, everybody's 100% at 10 weeks, and everybody – has a chance to go if they're really tough at six weeks. Like all he's saying is like 
you know, the human body is differently. Like for, for a collective group of fans who have said Derrick Henry's built different for years and years and years to not acknowledge that everybody is built different is <laughs> exactly. ridiculous. Yeah, I, so, I mean, and, and to go back to the timeline, I don't know that we really got into it, but look, I'm not betting against anything to do with Derrick Henry's body. I feel like that is a bad sure. business to be in. Yeah. I mean, just like, you know, look at any statistical model that would try to predict how good somebody with his body type would be. Like, he's the first runner, like, no matter what people yeah. say, he is the first 6'4", 250-pound running back who can do the things he can do. Yep. Like, he he may just be too big, and it may take him longer, or he may be a freak healer, and he may be able to heal, you know, like Wolverine. You don't know. Like, we don't <laughs> know. So, like, just, like, let the thing play out. Be happy that you won a crucial game. Like, and I, I, I'm phrasing this like Titans fans said it, but it was really the people who didn't listen to the press conference and just took it out of context. But like, it just it, it's so ridiculous. It's like Adam Schefter saying like he's going to be out for the season because he knows there'll be no repercussions for him. He'll just have another story where he's like, oh, despite every doctor saying that he would be out for the season, he may actually be able to come back. What a hero! And it's like it's just going to be like, no, you misreported it. And you know, I I got asked this morning on the A to Z show what the uh, what the mood was at the facility from from Vrabel and others. I'm like, it was pretty optimistic because Austin Stanley was telling me like he can remember maybe when Mariota broke the leg or some other stuff. Like it was pretty doom and gloom around there. Yesterday it was just sort of hey, life goes on, and that leads me to believe that they think he'll be back for the playoffs. Yeah, context clue. First of all if he's not going to be back for the playoffs, and this is something that Vrabel has done, is he has always protected his players. If he doesn't think he was going to come back, everything in his history suggests to me that he would say that it would be very unlikely that he's going to come back. He, he would he would basically say, I'm not going to say never, but it's impossible. Because that's the kind of guy Vrabel is. Like He shields players from, you know, if you have a concussion, he like, he won't tell everybody, but you're almost guaranteed to be out next week just for your own safety. Like that, that happened with Lawan this season and in the past. Like that's just who he is. Like he doesn't like for for all the flaws and all the issues I have with him. He does not want the media to deem a player soft or to set unrealistic expectations exactly. for those players. So he would he would give you the most brutal interpretation. And the fact that Schefter reported one thing. And that Rusini and uh, Ian Rappaport reported a different thing, and they are historically the ones with inside information. And so, like, it, I don't know if Cam Wolf has said anything, but if Cam Wolf has also echoed six to ten weeks, then Schefter is wrong. And you know, it, it, she, this is I, I won't I won't go too far into this, but Schefter definitely has a problem with this current regime of Titans because he's not getting inside information from them. He like. He gets less inside information from them than anybody else. And the one time he said anything this preseason about the Titans was when Vrabel had COVID and he just randomly tweeted, AJ Brown is on schedule to play to the start the week one of the season. And it that, was like, that, that was not a question. News. Yeah, it was, it was very much like, hey, uh, somebody in the Titans organization realized that their dad wasn't around and that they could text Schefter and it wasn't going to get them in trouble. <laughs> so they did, and that's all the information he got. And so he just tweeted that just to show that he had some inside info in there. But 
that was nothing. Yeah, Rossini, on the other hand, is in with the Titans. Yeah, it's like she might be Vrabel's sister. I don't know, but they they are <laughs> like it, seemingly she has started to outscoop Rappaport, who Rappaport was the guy who was ahead of everything before. Uh, it's 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 always tough on local guys when like it doesn't break locally. I don't know why that doesn't happen. But, I mean, d- without getting into it, and and we need to wrap up, but without getting into a rabbit trail yeah. about journalism, like that's kind of how it works now. Like, yeah, local guys break, you know, practice squad stuff, and mm-hmm. but the the big stuff and the mysterious stuff that's gonna it's naturally gonna come from the national guys. That's just how it works now. But. That's going to do it for us. Uh, this was fun. I enjoyed uh, having Tyler on. Matias will be back next week. Until then, for Will and me, I am Luke Warsham, reminding you and everyone else in the everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.